Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, thank you for joining us on the Light in the Darkness podcast. First of all, I just want to apologize for not having a new episode last week. For those of you who know about my health issues, I had a bunch of allergic reactions in a row, and I just needed to slow down and let my body rest for a bit. But today's episode is going to be amazing. I am talking to Zach Spafford about his journey with pornography. Hi, Zach. Thanks for being here today. Hey, this is my pleasure. I'm so grateful to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit, but um, I was letting you know that when I began my podcast, um, an interview about pornography was really one of the first things that I had wanted to do because I know it's something pretty much everybody deals with in some way or another, whether it's themselves, a family member, or a close friend. Everybody knows somebody who has had the struggle. And it really took me a while to find an interview that felt right for this podcast. But then I heard Zach and his wife on Jody Moore's Better Than Happy podcast, and I was really inspired by the methods that Zach has used to help him conquer this almost really a lifelong challenge for you. So you have so many great things to share with us. So if it's okay with you, I think we'll just jump right in. Yeah, let's talk. I'm excited for this. Yeah. So first of all, um, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, maybe where you grew up and how you met your wife and things like that. Yeah. So I was born in a little town called Boise, Idaho, uh, 40 years ago, actually. I just turned 40 this last month. And from there, my family, we, we lived all over the country and all over the world. My My dad worked for the Department of Defense. So I lived in Alaska and Germany and Illinois and uh, parts of Utah. And so we've had, I've, I've traveled quite a bit. I served a missionary as a missionary in Italy. Uh, my, my temple pre- or the new Rome temple president is actually my mission president, uh, president Pacini. And so I'm, I'm excited for him and his family. That's neat. Yeah. Um, but you know, for me, uh, and then of course I got, married when I came home from my mission, I found my wife and I was fortunate enough to, uh, to have her marry me, which <laughs> led us to having only eight children. Oh, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> How old are they? <laughs> Our oldest is 15 and he's learning to drive and I'm learning to relax. I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. And our youngest is, uh, she'll be three in a few days, actually, uh, uh, in November. So we're pretty Woo, That's That's a lot of kids in a little amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had our first six. We had six kids, seven and under when we had our first kid, six. Oh, my gosh. So uh, we moved really fast. We had twins, uh, uh, numbers five and six, and it... Uh, <laughs> That's a lot. Good for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I bet there's a lot of love and chaos at your house. <laughs> yeah, lots of both for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I I've been working as a coach, a life coach, um, helping men overcome their pornography use for a number of uh, 
of years now. And my, my wife and I, we have struggled uh, through this problem ourselves. This is one of the biggest issues that uh, has affected our marriage up to this point. And it's, it's actually pretty awesome that I was able to do something for me that really is a, a beautiful, it's, a, it's an opportunity to talk about a victory. And, yeah. and being able to help men overcome their difficulties with pornography has been a huge blessing in our lives. I bet. I think that's something that you and I were talking about a little bit before also. Um, there is such kind of a stigma and almost a, a cycle of shame um, with pornography. And honestly, it's it's pretty hard to find people who are open and honest and vulnerable and willing to share it with other people. And I think what you're doing is great because I think it's probably helping so many people. And I know that that at least one person listening to this episode right now is struggling with a pornography um, addiction or compulsion or whatever they may call it. And um, I hope that we can help them today. So let's maybe start. Um, at what age were you first introduced to pornography? How did that kind of start for you? So, to, uh, well, so as an eight-year-old, I lived on a little wow. uh, army base called Dugway, Utah, which is just out in the middle of nowhere. If you don't know where that is, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. And I was, uh, I was climbing around on the, they used to have these giant truck tires on playgrounds. And, oh yeah. <laughs> and for whatever reason, they always smelled like cat pee, but I, you know, well, I, that's for, why <laughs> I, I found I, they, that's probably why they don't have them anymore. Uh, but I found uh, myself in there with a, with a pornographic magazine and I, that was my first exposure. And then somewhere along the way for the next 25 years, I was struggling with it. And it was, uh, it was on again, off again. It was consistently my biggest issue in, in my mind anyway. You know, I, I often thought, you know, if I could just get rid of this one problem, I'll be a much better person. I'll be a much better um, missionary. I'll be a much better, you know, you name it. I'll be better was my thought process. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I struggled. Uh, for Heavenly Father to just take this problem away from me. And what I think, especially members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we we do not, we think of the atonement as something that fixes us. We think of it as something that will remove our problems from us. Yeah. And what I found uh, for me and in this moment that, or in the moments that I struggled for that, you know, pornography problem to go away, I found that it wasn't the atonement that I was lacking. It was a lot of my own agency. And, you know, the idea that I can't stop looking at this, or I shouldn't look at this, or I should be better. Those phrases for me became this kind of like, I don't have the capacity to not choose this. And so it's just going to have a life of its own in my life. And I don't have control over it. And I like to talk about the atonement being this bridge in the gap, right? If you look in the Bible dictionary, it talks about, how the atonement, it, it actually helps us um, overcome the consequences of sin. So what are the consequences of sin? They're the separation uh, of ourselves from our Heavenly Father. That's essentially what the consequences of sin are. We, we yeah. distance ourselves from our Heavenly Father. The atonement bridges that gap that we create just by being humans. And the nice thing there is that now, when, when I understood that, I finally understood that I didn't have to fix that part of it. I didn't have to have this go away from, from me to be able to approach my heavenly father. Yeah. But what I did have 
And what this gave me the freedom to deal with was my own choices. It was this opportunity to be like, oh, I don't have to stop this problem to be a good person. I can still have this problem and be a good person and work towards getting this problem out of my life because the atonement has bridged that gap for me. And I don't have to worry about, you know, the sin itself. I just need to worry about how do I make the right choice? I love that. And it was so freeing once I did that, once I worked through that. In fact, I have a, an article that I wrote and I'd love to share it with your listeners if, if they'd be interested. So I'll send you a copy of it and you can link to it in the show notes, but it's just an opportunity for us to like, really define, okay, what's the atonement do for us? And what is, what does our agency do for us? And how can we, how can we actually leverage our agency to make ourselves better while owning the fact and and loving the fact that the atonement bridges that gap between where we are and where our heavenly father is and how we, we can't, we can't surmount that by ourselves. So that's a really long answer to how (laughs) how was I first exposed, (laughs) but when I was eight, that was, that was the first time. And I thought, you know, I, I can't be a good, I can't be a good member of the church. If this is something I'm doing, I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good father. And it was such a struggle for me for so so many years. Let's talk a little bit about when you're eight. Um, when you saw it, did you know that was something wrong for you to do? Did you feel any shame at that time or did it kind of, you were exposed to it and then it kind of was just in the back of your mind for a while? You know, that's an interesting question. I, as I think back on it, I, I don't know that I can tell you exactly how I felt. Yeah. Um, what I do know is that I didn't tell my parents. Okay. And I do know that it wasn't much of a discussion topic in our yeah. household. And, uh, and I know that because uh, even when we lived in Germany, my older brother, he, so Germany has some pretty relaxed yeah. laws in terms <laughs> of what is available to people and uh, pornographically. And so he, I knew he had some, and this was when I was nine, 10, 11. Okay. So I knew he had some pornographic material. Uh, I don't remember my parents ever discussing it as, you know, with, they certainly never discussed it with me, but I don't remember if they ever discussed it with him. Uh, but what I, what I would say there is one of the things that I think we all need to be aware of is I don't think it matters at what age you're exposed to it what matters is what we as adults and what we as parents do in terms of having that conversation with our children. The The fact of the matter is, is that every, everyone alive at this point is going to be exposed to pornography by the time they graduate high school. Oh, that is, sure. yeah. that is a, that is a near certitude. I mean, unless you live under a rock and you've never seen a, the internet, uh, pornography is going to be somewhere in your life before you graduate high school. So the question then becomes, what do we do as parents to address it? And how do we make sure that our children don't feel ashamed of it and don't hide it under the rug and, and really don't make it something that is going to be a problem long run for them? Yeah, I love that. So are there any things that you would recommend looking back and just from the things that you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the number one factor is just to have conversations about it. Yeah. Um, and as an adult, you need to, you need to get your brain right around it. Right. So pornography is not something that we necessarily want our children to look at. We don't want it in our homes. We don't really want our spouses to be looking at it, but you've got to get your head around. If my child looks at pornography, that's, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Because I think a lot of what happens is when, when an adult finds out that their child is looking at pornography, the first thing they do is they freak out. And a lot of that, 
freak out lies on lies on these next these next ideas right which are my my child's going to be addicted and by the way it's not just boys that get into pornography sure. it's girls as well yeah. my child's going to be addicted which the likelihood of that is very 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 small uh, even if they use it on a regular basis addiction is a totally different ball game and uh, just kind of to illustrate yeah. that uh, when I was a um, when I was a missionary in Italy, there was a woman who got on the train. I was in Naples and I was sitting on the train and she was sitting in the stairwell of the, of the train. And she looks at me and I look at her like, I know she's there. She knows I'm there. And she proceeds to shoot heroin up Ooh. in front of me. Right. And that to me is an, in, you know, was an in indicator of what addiction looks like. And I'm not a clinician by any means, but that's what I look at when I think of addiction. Yeah. Now, if your child is looking at pornography, and you walk in the room, they are more than likely going to hide huh. it, yeah. stop it, not continue it. And when I talk to uh, spouses that are viewing pornography, invariably they, you know, they come to me and they say, well, I'm an addict. And I say, okay, let's talk about that. What does that mean to you? And what it boils down to is that they use pornography, even though they don't want to, even yeah. though they have a moral compass that says they don't want to. Right. But that doesn't mean you're an addict. That just means you have a, a habitual behavior that you may want to avoid. So that's one of the things that comes into mind. And then the next thing that comes to parents' mind when they hear their child's viewing pornography is, I've done a terrible job. I'm a bad parent. Yeah. And I think that we need to be aware of that and recognize that this really isn't about you. <laughs> Good news. Your, your child's pornography viewing is not about you. Neither is your spouse's. It's really, it's about them trying to feel good, them trying to even explore what's interesting. Uh, because the truth of the matter is, is that pornography has such a pull on us because it is interesting. Yeah. Um, the human body, the human form, it's, it's beautiful. It's uh, something that we all are genetically programmed to like, right? Yeah. Otherwise we probably wouldn't get married. We wouldn't have children. <laughs> so it's important to recognize that your child is not doing anything because of you, what they're doing is because of them. And so this doesn't make you a bad parent and yelling at your kid or kicking them out. I had one client who was a missionary when I worked with him, his dad, first thing that he, you know, when he found out he kicked him out. Wow. And I just want you to recognize that that is probably the least helpful kind of behavior. Uh, and the most helpful kind of behavior is going to be love. It's going to be understanding. Yeah. It's going to be curiosity and those kinds of behaviors that you can bring, those kinds of feelings that you can bring to the conversation with your child are going to help your child feel love and understanding and curiosity, which is going to help them figure out, okay, well, why do I use pornography and why might I want to not use pornography? Yeah. And just being aware of those kinds of, the, of that idea that it's not your fault and still being able to take responsibility, which means, hey, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to talk about it with you. One of the things we do with our kids is we just talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when was the last time you saw pornography? Right? Like, not have you seen pornography? Because yeah. the truth is they probably have. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you need to be aware of, you know, age appropriateness with that question. But especially with your teenagers, that's, that's pretty appropriate. When was the last time you masturbated? Another great question. Um, is it keeping you from doing what you want to do? Is it hindering you in any way? Now, I know that doesn't sound like this, you know, moral icon of like, don't do this. You're going to, 
but I want you to be aware that, you know, the more we scream at our kids, the more we bring them, bring them down on this behavior, the more likely they are going to be to, to be drawn to it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't put up blocks on your internet. We, we (laughs) use an, um, we use a program called Covenant Eyes. Uh, it's it's a great program. Full disclosure, I use it because they gave me a free account because this is what I do for a living. Yeah. So, um, but I do love it. it. It has provided us with a lot of visibility into what our teenagers are doing. Yeah. Uh, and it really opens up the opportunity to have this conversation yeah. and say, hey, you know, what are you seeing here? Why? What are you finding on Instagram? You know, is that the appropriate kind of thing? and and going from there but really being open to having a conversation because if you're not open to having a conversation your kids are going to hide it yeah and they're going to be ashamed of it i love it thank you so much so let's kind of continue on a little bit with your story so um like you said you grew up um you had definitely some experiences before your mission but you did go on and serve a mission for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and then you came home and you met your wife um when you kind of started dating? Is this something that you talked about with her? Is it something that you kind of were trying to just deal with on your own at that time? Yeah, I felt really alone in my pornography issue. Uh, I think I'd probably mentioned it to her, but I don't know that we'd had any in-depth conversation like, hey, I use pornography on a regular basis. Uh, The truth was that I was I was hiding it and trying to fight it myself. Yeah. And it really wasn't until uh, one, one night after my wife had had a miscarriage that she found pornography on my work computer that, that this really became something that was part of our lives. It was, yeah. and, and I say our lives, it was always part of my life, <laughs> but our life together as a, mm-hmm. as a couple, that's, that's when that became, uh, you know, out in the open. And I would, you know, again, I would highly recommend that if you're dating someone, you know, have this conversation with them. And, you know, I remember as a kid, for me, like I I would hear the young women being told, you know, if somebody has a pornography problem, you run from them. Yeah. And for the, for the young men, I mean, what a tragedy that sounds like, right? If you have a pornography problem, you're essentially irredeemable, Yeah. (laughs) which it's not true. No. And there's not. lots of great men out there who have a pornography problem. Yeah. They, you know, they have this habit that they are dealing with. And for the young women, I mean, when they hear that and then all of a sudden they find out, oh, my husband is using pornography. Now they feel as though everything's hopeless. Yeah. And the truth is, is nothing's hopeless. This is just one other, this to me is one of the many challenges and, and obstacles that we have to growth in our lives. And just like losing a job, um, and you, and you might think, oh well, no, this is a moral failing. Well, sure, but if if you feel that it's a moral failing and you don't address it with love and compassion, then that's the real moral failing. Yeah. Because the the truth is, is that your husband he's not doing this because of you. He's not doing this because he really wants to. You know, the truth is, he almost certainly has the same moral compass that you do, and says that this is wrong. He just doesn't know how to deal with the feelings that he's dealing with. And this is the outlet that he has, you know, has found and has created a habit out of. I think of a couple of things. So I'm a little older than you, um, (laughs) but not, I'm almost 43. And so we grew up in the same, you know, the same era. And um, I think 
we do have to give our parents credit that, that they just didn't know how to talk about it then. And even when you were dating um, your wife, this is just not something that, that people talked about then. But how lucky is the upcoming generation that we have now learned a lot about this. We have learned that, that the shame isn't going to help anybody. It's not going to help the, the user of pornography. It's not going to help the loved ones. Um, we've also learned that, like you said, creating those connections um, with your, whether it be with your kids, with your spouse, whoever it is, having those open and honest discussion really kind of takes that darkness and shadow away from it. And it really brings it into the light. And anytime, if you think about it, when you're struggling at nighttime, for whatever reason, it always feels worse, right? Like if yeah. you're having a bad day, night is always worse. And I don't know why, but it is. But when, when morning comes, people say that all the time, if you can kind of just hang on until the morning comes, things look differently. And so us being able to take this thought, this using pornography and kind of change it and bring it out into the light, it does nothing but help everybody. Yeah. And, and I love that. I love kind of the, the situations that you're thinking of. So I do have to ask just as a wife, um, when you were, you know, when this happened, obviously how difficult because she had just also suffered a miscarriage. So she was probably having a lot of hormones going on at that time. But then yeah. to find out that honestly, she probably felt that you were keeping something from her for a very long time within your marriage. So how, how did Darcy react to um, <laughs> finding out about this, about your pornography use? And <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah. That was the day that I learned that laptops can fly. Oh, uh, can? Yeah, oh yeah, they can fly. They, they just don't come out of it very well on the end. It's not very good for them. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, she was very upset. Uh, and, it, and it was, it was, this is not an excuse by any stretch, but it was this moment where I decided, oh, I can't trust her with my feelings. And of course she felt like she couldn't trust me yeah. with her feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And which is a really terrible place to be. If you're married to someone and you don't, you can't trust them with your feelings, that's a terrible, terrible place to be. And for a lot, a lot of years, we struggled to, to find the right place to be. Actually, we did a podcast on this not that long ago um, called the last time I almost went down the rabbit hole. And it taught in that podcast, we talk about the diff, the distance from that first time she found out to the last time I almost went down the rabbit hole and she, she caught me and like how she reacted differently and how rather than her being hurt, she could see where I was, which was lonely and sad. And, and, you know, I had been, we'd been stressed out quite a bit and it was just this, it was this beautiful transition from it being about her mm -hmm. to it really being about me which is what all of our feelings are about. This is, this is why people use view pornography when they have a moral objection to it because they don't feel good. And for the most part, when you can see that and you can understand someone else's perspective on that, all of a sudden, rather than it being a source of friction and frustration and uh, anger for, for a spouse, it can be a, a moment to actually come together and, and really build each other up and become the couple that you really want to be this and be the spouse that you want to be. Yeah. 
I love that. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you tried to do after that point, um, different ways that you tried to fix your pornography habit or um, different things like that. I know that you had mentioned um, on Jody Moore's podcast about the LDS 12 step program. And yeah. a lot of, a lot of people we have in a, in a few of my podcast episodes, um, people who have had spouses with addictions like drug addictions and things like that, and other types of things like that, that have used this program and it has greatly benefited them. So I'm, I'm not, it's not that it doesn't help anybody, but you're, I would like to hear kind of your experience with the LDS 12 step program and kind of where you went from there. Well, so one of the things that I loved about the 12 step program was that there were these earnest men who were there working towards a, a common goal. And you could see in their eyes and you could see in their, their manners and you could see in the way that they just kind of dealt with everything that they were there because they really truly cared about this problem in their lives. And they were so ready and willing to get rid of it. Um, Unfortunately, there's some deficiencies in the 12 step program. So if you're not familiar with it at all, uh, the 12 steps started by a guy uh, who had an alcohol problem and he basically came up with the 12 step program with him and another guy. And there's no scientific reasoning behind it. There's not really um, any, in fact, the research indicates that it has about a 5% success rate. So there's a, there's a book called um, the sober truth by Dr. Lance Dotis. Um, The summary of the book here, here it is for you. You don't have to read the book, but the summary (laughs) of the book is he went through all of the, the statistical material that he could find on it. And he found that you have about the same statistical chance of overcoming an addiction. He was talking about uh, alcoholism because that's where most of the research is. But uh, you have essentially the same statistical chance of overcoming this addictive behavior through um, just figuring it out on your own as you do going through the 12 steps, which, you know, and which is a 5% chance. Um, now imagine going to your surgeon and saying, Hey, you know, you're going to do the surgery on me. What's the chance of it succeeding? And he says 5%. You probably wouldn't do the surgery. You might think, Oh, what's another option? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is some, there's some great research by a Dr. Cameron Staley. It's really interesting because my wife listened to him on, I think it was the Mormon marriages podcast. Oh yeah, She's listening to him and she's like, this is what you say. This is what you say. This is what you, so it's really interesting because he has a PhD in pornography research and I have a doctorate of hard knocks, (laughs) but he talks about, um, acceptance and commitment therapy. So if you're going to go with a therapist, I would highly recommend that you find someone who's well-versed in acceptance and commitment therapy. In fact, at BYU, they do not use the 12 steps. If you go to your, uh, you know, if you go to the counselors at BYU and you say, Hey, I have this problem, they will put you through acceptance and commitment therapy, which has a lot of parallels with coaching. In fact, they're all pretty much coaching and acceptance and commitment therapy from what i can tell they run pretty much parallel to each other just one happens with a degree and one happens with hard knocks (laughs) (laughs) and uh, what i find is that within that process of looking at the heart of the problem right which is usually our thoughts we begin to have an awakening and and a real awakening that allows us to uh, examine what's actually going on, why we're feeling the way that we're feeling, and then deal with it accordingly. 
Um, most of the people that I work with, they're just not well versed in dealing with their with their feelings. As as Americans, as humans, we don't we don't deal with our feelings. We try to push them down. We try to shove them away. We try to keep from dealing with them. That's why we pick up our phones whenever we're standing in line at the at the grocery store instead of talking to the people around us, right? Because we're uncomfortable and we want to do something so our brain doesn't feel bored or uh, lonely or whatever, yeah. right? And this is this is essentially what we find. What I find is happening with people who are using pornography is that they have these feelings and they don't know what to do with them, and so what I do is I help them figure out, okay, well, why am I feeling this way? And usually that's a result of a thought, right? Yeah. And then once you deal with that feeling or you can either, you can either just sit with the feeling and be like, okay, well, this is what it's like to be bored or you can change, change the thought. You can choose what, what to believe. Right. Yeah. And this is actually the definition of repentance. So for instance, I thought I can't stop looking at pornography. That, that was what I believed to my core. I thought this, this is an addiction. I'm stuck doing this for the rest of my life. Uh, if you look at the Greek root of the word repentance, it is to have a new mind. It's metanoia. It means to have a new mind. Uh, and if you look at the Latin roots of it, I served my mission in Italy. Uh, pentire is, uh, is what we translate to penance, right? Mm -hmm. Is to think, right? So rethink. So if you put that together, what you believe is what you think, right? Yeah. And now all of a sudden, Repentance goes from being this laundry list of things that we're supposed to do, like confess and um, pray more and make amends if we can and stop the behavior. It goes from that laundry list of things to change what I believe. Wow. Right. And so the, the example I like to use is someone who likes to rob banks but doesn't do it isn't repentant. Right. Yeah. They just don't <laughs> want to pay the consequences of going to jail. Yeah. Uh, even though they could have done all of the things on that list, they could have given the money back and they could have confessed and they could have, you know, all of that stuff. Right. But true repentance, by the way, is what brings us closer to our heavenly father, which takes us back to that earlier conversation of, okay, well, what do I do to come closer to my heavenly father? Well, stop believing things like I can't, because the truth is you can do whatever you want. Right. If I said to you, Hey, you're a Mormon, you can't drink coffee. What would you say to me? I, I mean, I can do what I want. I choose not to drink coffee. <laughs> I can, but I choose not to. Yeah. Now think about that phrase in relation to pornography. Yeah. Can you imagine someone standing up in front of the Relief Society and being like, I can look at pornography. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just choose We not don't to. think of it the yeah, same way. It's true. It does not feel the same. It doesn't yeah. feel the same as coffee. Now I know that you might think, well, one's a bigger deal and one's a lesser deal. But the truth is, your agency provides that you can look at pornography, yeah. right? And, and for me, I had to literally go from, I can't stop looking at pornography to I can look at pornography and I, and I just might today. Yeah. And that was the beginning of me reasserting my agency. That was the beginning of my repentance, believing something new that more closely aligns with what my heavenly father believes than staying where I was being stuck, being yeah. in effect damned with this idea, I can't stop looking at pornography because once I stopped believing that it was just a matter of time before I came to a point where I was like, I can totally look at pornography. I just choose not to. Yeah. That's amazing. What a difference. <laughs> I yeah. love that. So you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but 
for you throughout this process, what role has God played in your healing? Um, I know that, you know, relying on the atonement and things like that um, really have kind of switched your minds of the way that you're thinking about all of it, but specifically what role has, has God played in not only kind of healing you from these thoughts that you're having and thinking that you were stuck, um, but also within your marriage? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think uh, for starters, understanding my relationship to my Heavenly Father was key to me stopping viewing pornography. And again, it was that idea of like, Heavenly Father's not standing up there waiting for me to pray to him. Hey, can you make it so I never look at pornography again? And every time I type in inappropriate uh, search phrases that he slaps a cat video into my browser. <laughs> right? like, that's not how it works. No. Um, Heavenly Father is a, a loving parent who also believes in our agency just as much as we want to believe in it ourselves. Yeah. And so it it once I understood that and once I was able to say, oh, I, I don't need to worry about the sin that I've done. That has been paid for. And I'm that, that which by the way, doesn't mean I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah but it has been paid for. And if I want to be a better person, worrying about paying for that is not the point. For me, it was, okay, now what do I do next? And beginning that understanding of the agency component of how I'm choosing to do what I'm doing and why I'm choosing to do what I'm doing really opened up uh, this, this really beautiful relationship with my Heavenly Father that said, oh, I just need your help to learn more. I need your help to learn why I'm doing this. I need your help to open up my mind and allow me to watch my brain and understand my brain and understand why it's doing what it's doing so that I can make the decision that I actually want, not the decision that my brain already thinks I want. Yeah. And as I did that, you know, one of the things that I've, I've said a number of times is Heavenly Father has not made this path easy, the path to over overcoming pornography viewing or becoming a, a coach who talks about pornography viewing, right? He has not made this easy at all. Yeah. What he has done is he's illuminated the path. Every step of the way was available to me. And I was able to take that step, notwithstanding how difficult it would be. Yeah. And as my wife and I have done this together, it has brought us closer together. And it has really given us an opportunity to, to make our marriage that much stronger because of it. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. So if somebody is listening right now that is currently struggling with viewing pornography and feeling kind of trapped in that cycle, what is something that you would say to them? I would say get a coach, get somebody who can help you do this, right? Like Tiger Woods is arguably the best golfer that's ever been. And when he has a problem with his swing, he doesn't just like try to figure it out on his own. He works with somebody who can see what he's doing and understands what he's doing and help him actually improve the thing that, that he wants to improve. I would also say, continue to work with whoever, you know, you're comfortable with. If you're comfortable working with your uh, ecclesiastical leaders, your church leaders, your bishop, whoever work with them, um, but recognize what they're there for. They're there to help you go through the repentance process in terms of dealing with the sin itself directly. Yeah. Um, most church leaders, they are not, they're not trained on how to overcome pornography. Yeah. It's just not their, that's just not what they're there for. You know, many of them have jobs that have nothing to do with pornography, right? <laughs> My husband was a bishop and he's a dentist. So right. 
they're dentists, they're doctors, they're engineers, they're yeah. lawyers, they're, uh, they're truck delivery guys. Like there are all kinds of different people and they may have no idea how to help you other than to tell you they love you. And that, you know, that's important to note that they're not there to help you necessarily solve this problem. They're help, there to help you absolve from the sin. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and understanding that might give you a better, you know, a, a better view of, okay, well, how can I actually solve this? Um, and, and going through the process of, of fixing the actual issue. You know, if, if you want to deal with a counselor, deal with a counselor. I find that oftentimes counselors want to talk about what happened. Uh, whereas a coach, you know, if you've ever played sports, coaches want to talk about the next game. They want to talk about how you can play that next game better. Yeah. And that's what I do is I help people play that next game better. Uh, the next time pornography shows up in your life, what if it just didn't bother you? Yeah. Right. What if you didn't have to fight it? What if you could just be like, oh, yep, that's pornography. I'm busy over here doing something else. <laughs> That would be amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be awesome. So something really quick that we haven't mentioned because I didn't do a traditional bio with you, but you also have your own podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the self-mastery podcast, you can find it on all the all the amazing podcast slingers out there. I don't, I don't whatever, whatever you call them, podcast platforms. Yeah. Uh, I talk about pornography. I talk about how uh, I've overcome it, but uh, more than anything, the goal with this podcast is to help people become the best version of themselves that they want to be. Yeah. Uh, when, when we're not being our best version of ourselves, we find ourselves unhappy. And that my goal is to help people become the master of themselves. Yeah. I listened to a couple of your episodes while I was preparing for this interview, and I just think it's such a great resource. It's free. It's easily accessible. Somebody can just put their earbuds in, and nobody knows that they're listening to it, and just kind of have this um, once-a-week pep talk, I guess, (laughs) of um, overcoming pornography and being able to deal with these types of things. Um, If they do kind of want to learn more about you as a coach and um, the things that you do that way, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? You can set up a free consult with me at uh, zachspafford.com slash work with me. I'd love to have a conversation with you, help you get into one of the programs that I run for people. Uh, I do group coaching. I do individual coaching. I do uh, coaching that is focused specifically on pornography, but I also do coaching that is focused on just being a better version of you. Uh, I have lots of clients from, you know, from young women to, uh, I even have a a Muslim client who I coach uh, pretty regularly that I love talking (laughs) to. He's a guy. So. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for your vulnerability. I, like I said, I just, I really appreciate just how open you are with your story and the things that you've learned um, from it. One of the things that I like to say on this podcast is that we can use our trials to make us better, not bitter. And I think that that's definitely what you've done. I think that it was something that has been such a big part of your life for so long, but now you've been able to not only kind of help yourself get out of this, but then in turn, you're helping other people. And I just love it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. This has been probably the the biggest blessing in my life to become a coach. And I I realize that not everybody can do this. Um, And so it's been, it's been an amazing journey for us. and, And I'm so happy that we could, we could do it 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you all for listening today. I truly appreciate the support that I've been given. If you like this podcast, it would be amazing if you could leave me a review or a comment on whatever platform you're listening on. Doing that just helps more people be able to find it and hear these amazing stories. So I hope you guys have a wonderful week and you're able to see the light in your own personal darkness. And we'll see you here next Wednesday. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son, Carter, for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at CarterGuitar456. 